Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from the lives of Cain and Abel the difference of believing in God versus having God as our God. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Now here's some highlights from this week's messages. As good as parents as Adam and Eve were, there will be children like Cain who will say no. That's their decision. Abel made a similar decision to obey God. Cain made the opposite decision. Why did Abel offer to God the sheep? Because Abel believed God's sacrifice. Abel had faith. Now here's Tom Cantor as we continue our Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday study in Genesis each week. You know, there's a very, very interesting word. I want you to look at it in verse 4, Genesis 4. You know, and I want you to see the one word that's there about Abel because it gives us a clue about him. In verse 4, well, let me just kind of lead up to it. Who was the first one who brought the sacrifice? Cain, right. And so therefore Abel was second, right? Who was the firstborn? Cain. And so Abel was secondborn. So the little word that's important there is the word also. You see that? In verse 4, and Abel, he also brought an offering. Do you know some also siblings in a family? You know the ones. They're always in the shadow of the first ones. But the also ones are, well, they're just also. They kind of like, well, he did it, so I'm going to do it. Well, that was Abel. But what's remarkable about Abel is that he took a step out. He took a step out. He was humble. Abel was humble. Cain was proud. God hates pride. But Abel was humble. What Abel saw, look, when I bring the sacrifice, it's going to be messy. There's going to be blood involved here. And because, like we said, Cain knew. He says, All right, my sins are bad. They're really bad. And my guilt and my shame and my sins are so horrible that all this blood and mess and everything, yeah, that kind of at least matches but Cain, he says, ah, you know, I'm not so bad. I'm not as good as others. I'm not as bad as some, but, you know, that's not so bad. But Cain, he didn't believe what Abel believed in Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death. Or Ezekiel 18.20, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Because Abel offered to God the more excellent sacrifice. And it says in Hebrews that Abel was made righteous by his sacrifice. Abel dies 6,000 years ago. We're reading about something that happened 6,000 years ago. And it's literally, since we're talking about him, we're seeing all these things, it's literally as if Abel comes into this chapel this morning and he sits down and he could speak to us. I could get out of the way, he could stand up here and Abel would speak to us because he's still speaking to us in this sacrifice of what he did. And you know what he would say? He would stand up here with all we know now, and he would say, folks, Abel speaking, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he would say. That's what I did. As much as I knew at the time, and God was leading us along, and he said it's going to be a blood sacrifice, I did that. And that's why it says in Hebrews eleven four, by faith, Abel 
offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it, he being dead, yet speaketh. I mean, he's just that alive this morning to us. He's speaking to us. So what kind of a person was Cain in contrast with Abel? Well, Cain was a man with a hot temper. And Cain saw that God did not have respect for his offering. And you know what happened? His nostrils spread apart in rage. He was enraged that God would not accept his offering. His head hung down in rage. He just thought about it. And the rage got more and more. And so what does God do with a person like that? Well, look at verse 6. So gently, God speaks to Cain. Because why? Because God loves Cain. Because Cain is part of the world that's referred to in John 3.16. For God so loved the world, including Cain, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, including Cain, believes in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. Cain is part of the any that is referred to in 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any, including Cain, should perish, but that all, including Cain, should come to repentance. Cain's part of this big all, that's spoken about in 1 Timothy 2, 4. God, who will have all men to be saved. So in verse 4, we find God trying to work with Cain. And he gently asks Cain, he says, Cain, look at yourself, Cain. So God might say to me, look at yourself, you're sweating. But anyway, he didn't say that. He said, Cain, look at yourself. Just look at yourself. Your nostrils are flared open. You're so angry. He says, why are you that angry? And why are you falling down? He says to Cain, why are you rough? Why are you so angry? Cain, there's no reason for you to be as angry as you are. Your sin is not incurable. There's good news. I'm correcting you, Cain. Listen to me. It's God speaking. And he says, I corrected your parents, Adam and Eve. You know, they're moving along. I'm in the correcting business. Sign up, Cain. See? Why do you have that anger? Second, Cain, there's a remedy if you'll take it. But if you refuse it, Cain, there'll be no remedy. He, Proverbs 29, 1, he that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be cut off, and that without remedy. So God was lovingly encouraging Cain Take the remedy. Cain, just start with the words, I'm wrong, I was wrong, I'm sorry, I'd like to apologize. God says, oh, that'll do. It'll all work. Why is your countenance fallen? He says, Cain, with me as your father, there's no reason for you to be so depressed. And then he says in verse 7, look, Cain, it's not a matter of you, it's just a matter of what you do. He said, if thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? Got no prejudice against you, Cain. It's nothing personal. It's a matter of what you're doing because of your heart. And so God is really speaking to Cain in a kind of a special counseling session here. It's wonderful. And he says, look, he can be 100% accepted. And God doesn't mention the name of Abel. Isn't that wonderful? When he wants to counsel some, God doesn't say to Cain, why can't you be like your good brother Abel? <laughs> he doesn't do that. 
He says, why do you have to be the bad one? He doesn't do that. God just says to him, I'll help you through this, Cain. I'll help you. This is not about Abel and you. This is about you and me. And I'll guide you through this. And then he says, if thou doest not well, he said, sin lies at the door. God says to Cain, Cain, you better take a stand. You better take a stand right now against the temptation inside of you because you're on the brink of a terrible sin. Remember what he said to Peter? Peter, you don't know this, but Satan has desired your soul that he may sift you as wheat, but I prayed for you that your faith fail not. That's the same God. And he's saying to Cain, Cain, there's a big sin that's right on your door. You've got to take your stand, Cain. Take your stand against that anger inside of you. And then it says, because if you don't, he says, unto thee shall be his desire. If you don't do it, Cain, he says, you'll be the prisoner of the sin. Just like it says in Romans 6.16, Know you not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. And then God told Cain some advice. He said, Cain, thou shalt rule over him, the old man. Him, rule over that anger, Cain. Take control, get a grip, take your stand. Rule over your passions, control yourself. Don't let your temper flare out of hand. Don't become a slave. Now, God did not have to do this for Cain, but he did. And it shows us the nature of God, how good he is, and how much he tries to lead every sinner to repentance in such patience, because he didn't want to see Cain's fall. But verse 8, tragically, Cain makes another decision. And Cain says, God warning me about my anger. Ha! That's Cain's attitude in verse 8. And so in verse 8, you see what Cain does? He becomes the crafty one, the subtle one of the serpent in chapter 3. And he talks with Abel. Come on, Abel, let's talk. Let's have a walk, Abel. See what it says there? It says he talked with him, verse 8, and it came to pass when they were in the field. So come on, Powell, buddy. Let's talk. Let's walk. Let's go out into the field. And he's got the murder planned in his mind. And Abel doesn't know. He thinks maybe there's a change in Cain. He's talking to me now. Maybe we're going to get along well. And he gets out there. And what he does, it says there in verse 8, it says, it came to pass that we were in the field that Cain rose up against his brother. And the rose up was the attack against his brother. And there was a struggle. And probably with each hit that Cain gave on Abel, there was a new wound. There was a new drop of blood or bloods all over the ground. It was a bloody area. And when God came later on to Cain, he said, Cain, he said, the voice of your brother's bloods is crying unto me. Each one of those spots is like a cacophony of sound. It's all the voice of your brother's bloods. I can't get it out of my ears. I hear it crying unto me. What did you do, Cain? That's what happened. That was Cain. Again, verse 9. How good God is. After this murder, he still tries to bring Cain to repentance. He's still willing to say to Cain, Cain, I'll accept you. I'll forgive you. There's forgiveness with God that he could be feared. Such the gentleness on God's part to not just ask about Abel. How many times was Abel referred to as his brother? Verse 8, Cain talked with Abel, 
his brother. Verse 8, Cain rose up against Abel, his brother. Verse 9, where is Abel, thy brother? Verse 9, again, he says, my brother's keeper. Verse 10, the voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me. And verse 11, the ground has opened its mouth to receive thy brother's blood. Why did God keep saying, thy brother, thy brother, thy brother, thy brother? He's trying to bring out a Cain. Repentance, look what you did, Cain. You killed your brother. You didn't just kill Abel. You killed Abel, your brother. And he's drawing him out and he says, now Cain, I'm going to do the same thing I did with your parents, Adam and Eve. I'm going to ask you what you did. We went gently in Genesis chapter 3 and said, why are we afraid? And uh, why'd you hide yourself? So now I'm just going to ask you, where's Abel? Where's Abel? Did God not know where Abel was? Of course God knew where Abel was. His blood's crying out to him. He sees his dead body. And he goes to Cain and says, Cain, where is he? And Cain lies. And he says, I don't know. You don't know? You just killed him. You don't know? You watched him scream out and cry out to God and grab a hold of you and say, no, Cain, no, don't do this thing. And you're going to say you don't know? You're going to say that to God? That's what he did. He said, I don't know. Now Cain has aligned himself with the two characteristics of Satan, lying and murder. He was a liar from the beginning, and he was a murderer. The thief cometh not, but for to steal, to kill, and destroy. And Cain has said, I'm going over to his side. And that's what Cain did. And so he lies boldly. He says, I don't know where he is. And then he rebuffs God. He says, what am I? Am I supposed to take care of him now? That my new job title? Oh. Cain, you should have stopped with the first thing. Don't go any further. Tragically, it says here, tragically, the scripture says in verse 16, Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. It doesn't say God went out from Cain's presence. It says Cain went out from God's presence. And that's a world of difference. That's a decision. That's a decision that Cain made. And because he made that decision, God said to him what he never said to Adam. He never said it to Eve. He said, Cain, you are cursed. You are cursed from the ground. You are cursed. Because there is a wideness in God's mercy, as the hymn says, but there's also a limit. There is a wideness, but there is a limit. And Psalm 95 says this, we are his people, sheep of his pasture. He says, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart as in the provocation, referring to the wilderness, as in the day of temptation in the wilderness. And that's the lesson that we get from looking at Cain. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us, Lord, to have the heart of Adam and Eve, a tender heart to God, a heart that says, yes, Lord, I was wrong, and I come to you for the remedy of my sin." And not the heart of Cain that said, who needs God? Lord, and help us as we work with those who are saying, who needs God? So that they can change, Lord, and go from the the Cain side over to the Adam and Eve side. Thank you, Lord, for teaching us this morning in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Tom, today you quoted Psalm 95.7, which says, He is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Now many people say they believe in God, but what is the difference between believing in God 
versus what the psalm is saying, having God as our God. And there is a difference. Because as you said, if you walk up to the average person on the street today and you say, do you believe in God? And that person will say, well, of course I believe in God. I'm not a heathen. I'm not an atheist. So people say they believe in God. But this psalm is saying something more. Because what this psalm is saying is that he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. So really we could expand it by saying, what's the difference between just saying you believe in God versus saying, the Lord is my God. I am one of the people of his pasture. I am one of the sheep of his hand. That's the question. And so, first of all, we see clearly the Bible teaches that what takes it beyond believing in God to having the Lord as the God as our God is confession. Confession. It says in Matthew 10, 32, The Lord Jesus Christ said, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. Romans says, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. It's all about telling others. So what is the difference? The difference is someone who has the Lord Jesus Christ as his God, someone who is one of the people of the pasture of the Lord Jesus Christ, someone who is one of the sheep of the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ says so. And he says so without reservation, without embarrassment, without hesitation, openly in a confession. It's not just a profession for him. It's a confession because it's coming right from his heart. And he's confessing, I believe the Lord Jesus Christ is God Almighty. To say those words is to confess him. And to do that is then to eventually then later to go to heaven and to have the privilege, the honor. What a day that will be when the Lord Jesus Christ stands before God the Father and brings that person along and says, Father, I would like to introduce to you Mary. She was in a very difficult situation. Her husband didn't believe in me. Her husband persecuted her, didn't allow her to go to church. It was a tough life for her, but she stood firm for me in the home, and she confessed that I was Lord. And the father smiles and said, I'm so glad to know you. Come. And then the next one, oh, he says, Father, let me introduce you to Jack. Jack worked in a job where they, where no one believed in me, and they gave him daily a hard time with harassment, but Jack stood firm for me. That's what it means to be confessed before the Father. And so what is important for a person who has the Lord Jesus Christ and his God is he confesses him. Second, John 10, 27 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. There's three things in there. First of all, he says, My sheep, you can understand who my sheep are in that they hear my voice. In other words, when they read the Bible, the Bible is not just some book of literature, just some collection of of classic writings, 
But when they read the Bible, they search. They cling to the Bible, the sheep of God, and they say, Oh God, from these words, I will die unless I hear the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God, the Lord Jesus Christ, speaks to the heart. And they know that they've heard God speak through a verse. A verse will become uh, like under lights. And they'll say, oh, wow, and they're thinking about it. That's hearing the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, my sheep hear my voice. And then he says, I know them, and they know me as well, and they follow me. In other words, when I speak to them and put my finger on an area of their lives which is displeasing to God, which is sinful, which is downright wrong, that person immediately responds with a, with a confession of sin. Oh, God, please forgive me for this sin. Help me to change this. Help me to do right. Help me to repent, to turn around. That's hearing the voice of God and following him. It's responding to that voice because God, like a parent to a child, loves us whom the Lord loves whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Whom the Lord, what is chastening? It's reproving, it's correcting, it's, it's in some cases disciplining, but that's the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. The sheep of God, the sheep of the Lord Jesus Christ looks at those difficult times in their lives and says, first of all, what, if anything, am I doing wrong? And if God does bring to mind what he's doing wrong, he looks up and he says, thank you for loving me so much and caring for me so much that you did not let me get away with it. That's the sheep of God. And I determine to change, to turn around, and to follow you. That's the sheep of God. That's why this verse says in Psalm 95, we are his God, we, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart, as in the provocation, as in the day of temptation in the wilderness. In other words, who is the person who has the Lord Jesus Christ as his God, who has the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hands? It's the one who doesn't harden his heart, who responds. What does it mean to not harden the heart? To respond. He responds to what he says. He also is the one who has the title of this program, Friendship with God. He's a friend of God. God is a friend of his. When he says these things, I know them. They know me, he says he, in another place. That's friendship. That's friendship. And he says in John 15, 14, ye are my friends if, there is that little word, that condition, ye are my friends if ye do whatsoever I command you. That's what it means to be a friend of God, doing what the Lord Jesus Christ commands us. And Tom, you kind of touched also, after talking about the confession part of verse 7 in Psalm 95, you also talked about the hardening of heart in verse number 8 of Psalm 95. Now, you started to go into it, but what does it really mean to harden the heart? Well, the verse that we've been studying here in Genesis 4.16 is a perfect picture of what it means to harden the heart. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. In other words, to be in the presence of God is to hear the voice of God. To hear the voice of God is to have him put his finger on the areas of the life that are not right, that need to change, that where we need to conform our lives to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he helps us to do that by saying, this needs correction, this is wrong, this is your path to straighten it out. Now, to respond to that and to say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, that's what it means to follow him. To say, I've had enough, 
and to say, I'll snap my fingers in the face of God and say, you can't make me do it, as Cain, in essence, did. And to go out from the presence of the Lord. God gives people the freedom to do that. Tragically, they do. And when they do, that's what it means to harden the heart. That's what he said when he said, for example, in Proverbs 29.1, he that being often reproved hardeneth his heart shall suddenly to be destroyed and that without remedy. Look at that verse as a succession. Step one, being often reproved. We who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are the people who are often reproved. But he said, if you are a follower of me, if you are my friend, you will respond to that correction. You will respond to that reproof. But the step two for the person who is suddenly destroyed and that without remedy is it says that after he's been often reproved, his response is not to respond positively, but to harden his heart and said, you can take your Bible, you can take your church, you can take your pastor's messages. I won't have it. That's hardening the heart. And God says that has a limit, and the limit at the end of it will be to suddenly destroy it, and that without remedy. But praise God, there is a way that is not like that, and it is to humble ourselves and to respond to his loving reproof. Thank you for joining us today. Now, has the Friendship with God radio program impacted you? Would you like to let Tom Cantor know? You can by emailing him at Tom Cantor. That's Tom and then C-A-N-T-O-R, Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Send him your testimony of how this program has impacted you. You can also find Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program as well as Israel Restoration Ministries on Facebook. And if you like our page, you can receive a daily devotional from Tom Cantor. You can also go to our websites, friendshipwithgod.org and israelrestoration.org for more information or call us at 1-800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051.